Doug, we are back on the block with the most exciting recap ever. I, I believe it is. I am sitting here having achieved nirvana, everyone, because this is the height of Melrose Place right here. The ba- the episode we've all been waiting for, season three, season, fina- ser- season finale of season three, blah, 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 The Big Bang Theory. Nothing to do with the long-running CBS sitcom, just 90s soap at its very height. So this is what all of the pain points of this season has been leading up to. The pain and the pleasure points, I'll say. But yes, the pain points too. And for the most part, it does not disappoint. You are absolutely right. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. I will say, I've probably not watched it. I think I saw it once in real time in 1995. And I think I saw it again once, maybe on DVD about 12, 13, 14 years ago. So this is the third time and the second revisit. And there are some things where you can look at it through a 2019 prism and be like, yeah, that doesn't really work, yeah, that's ridiculous, yeah, that's a stretch, whatever. But I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. It's not maybe 100%, but the stuff that works, works gangbusters. Absolutely. I was, I felt, I felt very satisfied. I felt like, for the most part, the, um, the frustrations that I experienced throughout this very long and plotting season um like i felt i felt like okay at least we've wrapped this up into a place where that that is like really awesome like yeah you know and and it is definitely they leave you on a cliffy yeah and so more about that at the very end of this podcast because there's some extra info i want to provide but it's it's maybe the best cliffhanger in the history of TV, except maybe like Twin Peaks, because I always have to talk about Twin Peaks. Like, yes, this is, they knew what they were doing, and they were having fun with it here. So now, is it me, or do, do series finales really no longer have that sort of epic cliffhanger? You mean season finales? Season finales, yes. Um, I feel well, like they I wrap up a little cleaner now. Um, I think they do. It's also like, uh, we have to separate it between network seasons versus like cable streaming stuff because that storytelling is much more literary there are truly chapters Mm -hmm. now before so we're really talking about like just the network stuff and i would think you probably don't see that as much anymore because most of the network shows are more procedural right um but I think you see that maybe with shows like Grey's Anatomy and like the next generation of the, the 21st century soaps like Shonda Rhimes gave birth to. Uh, I don't, so I think you see it less frequently, but it still happens. Okay. But you saw the time, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think just from like the shows that I grew up with. So. L.A. Law and 30-something and Hill Street Blues, probably not so much. But at the same time, you did have Dallas and Knott's Landing and Falcon Crest and the revival of um, Dark Shadows. And I think those all employed the cliffhanger. Well, I think less so. Yeah. Well, what a cliffhanger it was. Yeah. So so we should dive into this. Let me ask you this before we... And then we'll dive in. Um, did you stop watching at the end of this episode, or did you watch into the season four opener to see what happened? 
I, I stopped. Okay. And so do you actually not know anything of what happened afterward? Well, if I remember correctly, the apartment building was leveled, was it not? Or no? Uh, uh, I'll say yes, but I also, I'm, I'm not asking us to divulge. I was just curious if you knew. But I know that um, everybody lives. Yes. Pretty, yeah, um, yes, if we're talking about all the contract people, yes. Oh. But, but let's, I guess, let's rewind. And let's go back to the beginning of our stories, and let me ask you how many pages of notes you have. Oh my god, so many pages. So I have, like, a big notebook, yeah. not, not the mini, and it's like, one, two, like, because I kept flipping back to, like, before I, you know, before I called you, and I'm like, oh my god, how many pages back do I go? Four, five... Six, seven. I have ten pages of notes, and these are and these are. This is like bigger than like, like these. This is like like the A ten or whatever size paper. <laughs> so, all right, listeners, for your sake, we'll try and and get through it as swiftly as we can. But a lot of stuff did happen. I mean, where to begin? Well, so for the most part, I feel like we can do storyline by storyline, but at some point when they all really start to converge, we've just got to do them all at once. Can I just say, this is, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, Jack Wagner's back. How happy was I when I saw his name flash on the screen? Well, that's the thing. I was like, it's a spoiler, but they spoil it for us in the opening credits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh my god, Jack's back. Jack's back, and he's got a brand new haircut, which, thank god. So, I mean, the other thing, and we'll kind of dive into this as we go storyline by storyline, but one of the things that I did like about this episode is that it wasn't just a big finale where they wrapped up storylines. No, no, no. They set up so much, moving assuming that certain characters survive. Correct. Um, no. They, they, they've really set, a, no. set it up to sort of, like, ju- like really sort of, like, from go, season four, they'll just dive right in. And that's one of the things that I think is the most to the series credit, which is pain points or not, the this finale has a lot of payoff from what has been building up to over let's not like let's give credit where it's due thirty episodes and also opens the door for a bunch of new storylines to come in the following season. Um a lot of which they do see through, some of which last longer than others. Um but so I say we I say we talk about the Jane storyline and the Matt storyline yeah. first. Okay. Should we should we kick off with Matt since he was sort of not really at the end there? I think that's fair. Yes. You know, so okay. So when we left Matt last se- last episode, he was sort of like in this weird relationship with that doctor, that plastic surgeon. What do you call him? Doctor Doom? <laughs> I call him Dr. Feelbad. His, his, the name is Paul, so <laughs> pick, pick your poison. Yeah, yeah. so so Dr. Feelbad, if we remember, is the married plastic surgeon who is in the closet who starts this affair with Matt. But he's very sort of sketch and sort of keeps telling Matt he's leaving his wife. But then when we flash to scenes with him and his wife, he's talking about how Matt's a crazy stalker and he can't get rid of him and, oh, honey, I love you. Yeah. So, um, so, so it's a little like, what's going on? Poor Matt, you know? And, and like, I keep yelling at the TV, Matt, st- 
stop because the guy is like shit to him. You know, like the wife shows up and says, you know, and, and uh, like she showed up at Matt's office and was like, stay away from my husband. And then Matt, and then like the guy is like, I'm so sorry. She just is upset that I'm divorcing her. Do you want to go have dinner? And Matt's like, okay. I'm like, Matt, stop. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a quote, Brokeback Mountain, it's really like an I can't quit you situation, which Matt is smarter than this. And also, like, they just had a couple nights together. So if I were Matt, I'd been like, well, I thought this guy was a good thing. Turns out he's a really bad thing. He's still married to a woman. Like, this is too much baggage for me. And yet, Matt is too dumb. Yeah, so, so so for for our season finale, the very first sort of scene we have with Matt is he's he's doing that same thing with this guy, where this guy is like, you know, I don't remember what happened. I don't even really remember what their last interaction was, but it wasn't good. And then you know, Doctor Feelbad shows up, and it's like, I swear, like she's, I've I've st- I've called the lawyers. The divorce process has started, and Matt's like, oh, shucks, okay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, Matt's going to hang in there. And I'm like, no, Matt, run. Go to Rhonda. Go, go, run. Don't walk to Rhonda. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Fact, everyone should be running to Rhonda's and they don't. No. So basically, Matt's still being stupid with this guy. Yes. And it'll be to his detriment. Which I have to wonder, like, this is LA in the 90s. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like there are no gay men. Well, but Matt's world seems to be very sequestered, even though they live in West Hollywood, where it's all gay men. Um, the problem was they really kept not wanting to cast gay men to be with Matt in the show. Yeah, because it's like every time he's like in a relationship, it's doomed. Exactly. Or, or if not doomed, then like actually dangerous to Matt, which will continue again in subsequent seasons. Like Camille Pogli or someone could do a whole thing on how it was always like the gays on this show with Matt were portrayed as like evil, murderous, dangerous, bad. And that's but, wrong. Uh, it is wrong. Well, all I can say is we know better now and we've come a long way. Yeah. But you know, they never knew how to write a black character for Rondo. They never knew how to write a gay character for Matt. And, and and it isn't just that they didn't know how to write for Matt. They don't know how to write storylines with other people interacting with Matt. So they either ignore the gay or they make, like, the gay icky, weird, bad. Yeah, yeah. So, um... So, you know, so Matt's supposed to be having dinner with this guy, and then suddenly, like, you know, you flash to the guy's office, and then he's ordering two dozen white roses for his wife. Yeah, with an apology, yeah. You know, and then saying to Matt, oh, well, you know, come on over for dinner and cook for me. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't cook. So, so so Matt and Matt says, well, I'll cook for you. And he's like, all right, and I'll do the shopping. Oh, but I said, oh, that was later. That was later. Yeah, but, I, I skipped over a whole thing where the guy invited Matt for dinner. That, and he well, the, important thing, the important thing is that the guy invites Matt to come to the house again. Yes. And so Matt goes to dinner and he has Chinese. And while they're eating the Chinese food, they start, he like talks about the, the, the candle, the candlesticks candle that are on the table. Yeah. Like the antique candlestick. And apparently they're worth a lot of money. And, and, but it's all his wife, his wife's money, apparently. I guess she came over on the Mayflower. I guess, but it's like, I mean, this is a power couple as that assistant receptionist said a couple episodes back. Like, I mean, he's got money now too. He's a doctor. Right. But, but, yeah. right. but the, yeah, the money, the wife must have like blue blood. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that date went well. Because and Matt's defenses are down. Yes, because now he wants Matt to come have dinner, but Matt's going to cook this time. And he says, "Well, I will go shopping. You do the cooking." Um, meanwhile, the wife is out of town. Um, you know, we think that she's left um, or moved out, but it looks like she's just going to an out-of-town wedding. Right. So she leaves for the out-of-town wedding. Dr. Feelbad goes and does some grocery shopping. And then he goes back to the hospital and he's like, oh, Matt, I have to work late. Here, take my key. Right. And, um, and, and let yourself in and cook. Yeah, you get started on dinner. You let yourself in. And Matt's like, okay, but what about the security code? And he's like, don't worry, it's off. So Matt goes to the house, um, and as soon as he unlocks the door and opens it, well, guess what? The alarm is not off, and it starts going off. So, By the way, I'll just say, because this is sort of getting to the climax of the Matt storyline, um, the buildup is good. And, like, when Matt goes to this house and the audience starts to put two and two together, I think it's, like, it's very Murder, She Wrote. Like, I won't say that, like, the clues are hard to find, but I think they were well plotted, like in Agatha Christie fashion. Like what's about to happen to Matt? Like the seeds along the way. Well done. I agree, and, and I think the suspense is earned. And that was like yes, because you know, you know, I had such frustration with this storyline. I know you were like, and where is this going? And is this going to end badly for Matt? And I'm like, it's going to end badly for Matt, but good for the audience. And I do not want to spoil a kernel of it. Right, <laughs> and it, and, it, and you were right. You were absolutely right. Um, but, you know, it, you, there was a lot of frustration to get where we got. But then yeah. it was like, it was sort of that moment where I was like, oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Which is the way it should be. Right. In hindsight, it should make sense. But as long as you're not too far ahead of it. Yeah. And I kind of like clued in at the candlestick moment where he's like, he sounded the, the actor playing Dr feel bad was kind of he sounded pretty angry and wistful about his wife's blue-bloodedness right um and so there was like that sort of moment of tension going on with him where i was like oh that's interesting um so his wife has money and what does that mean and is this something that's going to play out in the situation does this have something to do with what's been going on with him sort of playing both sides and oh, but does it. So Matt comes in and the alarm is going off and he's trying to like hit buttons and shut it off. He's trying to call Dr. Feelbad at his office. He keeps getting the answering machine and he like turns around at one point and that's when he sees a pair of female legs stretched out across a doorway. And he's doesn't even go back there. It's like, it's almost like he knew when we knew. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like it was like he turned around and he was just like holding the phone and, and it was like he was just like, he saw it and he like knew, he knew. And then the cops come and they're like, you know, put your hands up. And well, he goes, he goes into the bedroom and sees her and knows in a second she is dead and knows he needs to get out of this house. And as he's running out of the house is when the cops come in right. and puts his hands up in the air. Like it looks real bad for him. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, it was the plot twist. Yeah. And we have one more scene after the arrest where, where Matt 
is in questioning, I guess. He's in custody. Yeah, he's being um, interviewed. They're asking him questions about him and Dr. Feelbad, and he's like, if you're asking if we were lovers, yes. And, and, and we see, like, the result of what has happened of how Dr. Feelbad has been, like, setting Matt up. So he's got Matt's fingerprints on the candlestick, which was the murder weapon. And we've got all those times that he told Matt to wait outside in the car, that he they were calling them in as Matt being a stalker and being a threat. So now it looks like there's a history of Matt being, um, you know, dangerous to her. Um, and that's when Dr. Feelbad comes in. Um, pretending to look all devastated, and he's like, you killed my wife, Matt, and that's when I think Matt finally realizes that Dr. Feelbad set him up, and he yeah. jumps up and lunges at him. Uh, the cops separate them, and Paul's like, I'm going to make you pay, whatever he said. Um, so, Matt's in danger. I mean, Matt's in trouble. Matt is in big trouble. Matt's in big trouble, and I don't know how he's going to get out of this. No, and I won't tell you. And even the and even the lawyer, the the cops were like, "Dude, you need a lawyer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, who would let Paul in the interview room? Who what? Who would let Who would let Paul, the victim's what yeah. husband? Yeah. Oh, that's not how it works. That's yeah. not. That's not how it works. No. But it was a good moment. Yeah, it is a good, and it's like the necessary extra click Matt needs to realize what the last few episodes have been leading up to. Right, because he doesn't quite, he still doesn't quite get it, you know, because he's like, no, we, we have a thing, and, the, and and they're like, no, you, 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 don't you know that they've been filing complaints against you? And he's like, what are you talking about? We're dating. He's getting a divorce. And they're like, no, that's your fantasy, dude. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so poor Matt, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. Right. You don't, but that's why we keep watching. That's why we keep watching. But the good news is he's not at Melrose place. Matt, the good news is Matt is in trouble, but being in jail is actually going to save his life. <laughs> being in jail is probably good at the moment for Matt. So, okay, let's do Jane. Yes. Yeah, so Jane. So this is one of the most ridiculous things to ever happen, I feel like, in the series, but also one of the best because Jane grows extra spine. Jane has a spine and a half. Yeah. Maybe two. Maybe spine a bifida. So, Jane, I think it's the first time we see her where she's at Jane Mancini Designs and the cops come in and they're like, <laughs> all right, guys, you have no money. We're disbanding the whole thing. You gotta go. And her whole staff is basically just like, what? Oh, okay, let me grab my coat. Gotta go. Oh, got my bag. Leaving. Okay, bye. And we never see any of them again. I love how Jane, though, when this was happening, like, the sheriff's office comes in and they're like, everybody, like, that's it. This is foreclosed. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And it's like, oh, honey, when they foreclose on you, you have warning. Yeah. Well, I don't know that this is done in the most realistic way, but it's basically like, yes, it happens overnight and, like, every old one of her employees evict her, is evicted on the spot. Never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. So, and, and she can't even get her designs out. Right. All of which is just a springboard for Jane to start the next chapter of her design career. Right. Which happens courtesy of Amanda. But by accident. Uh, inadvertently by Amanda. Yeah, yes. Amanda didn't really mean to do it. No, no, and nor would she have done it in intentionally. Um, but no, Jane and... Well, okay. So... I'll, I'll, we'll we'll get back to the Michael storyline, but at one point, Jane and Michael are talking about 
how Jay Mancini Designs has gone kaput. Uh, and Amanda comes by and basically lets it be known to Jane that this very famous designer, I guess he's the... He's the business behind the operation. Mackenzie Hart Designs is the famous designer. She's the wife. Richard Hart is the frontman, younger husband, business guy. And he has a meeting to take on D&D to do their advertising. Right. So Jane's like, can you introduce me to him? And Amanda's like, no, I fucking hate you. Goodbye. Yeah, Amanda's Uh, like, you owe D&D a lot of money. No. (laughs) Because now she's never going to get it. (laughs) She won't. She sure won't. Um... And the next thing we see, I believe it's the very next scene. This happens a couple times where we actually have, like, back-to-back scenes, even though a little bit of time has expired. Um, Jane is dressed up in, like, one of her, like, little business suits. um, And she sees Amanda with Richard Hart, played by Days of Our Lives alum, Patrick Muldoon, um, in the the front lobby of D&D. And Jane tries to make an introduction, and Amanda's basically like, you want nothing to do with her. And Jane shoves Amanda (laughs) out and gets her and Richard alone in the elevator. It was such a great moment. She physically shoved Amanda. Right, yeah. (laughs) And 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 she gets in the elevator, and she's basically trying to sell herself, her, her, her design self, to this guy. And he's... You know, it doesn't seem like he's interested. And then by the end of the elevator ride, he's like, well, I kind of like that you shoved Amanda. And that was like the highlight of my day. So come on by tomorrow and we'll talk. Yeah. yeah. So I was so she- I was like cheering for, for Jane at that moment. I love it. I, I think I had read that Josie Bissett periodically complained about what a wimp Jane was. And this is one of the bones they threw her. Um, and so I'd say, like, for a while, she's, like, on top in season four, and then she sort of becomes a victim again. Um, there's a lot of reversals and changes that happen in the second half of season four that really kind of soured me on the series. But for now, it's awesome still. And Jane visits Richard, and that's when we meet his wife, Mackenzie Hart, and she's brittle, and... You know, Richard is clearly receptive to these very forward advances Jane is making from the get-go. And he's like, we have an understanding. We don't want it to look in public like I'm doing anything to embarrass her. Um, And I think that's when they all decide that the three of them will go out to dinner. Well, here's the thing that I didn't quite understand. So Mackenzie Hart, it seems like, were they divorced I don't think they are divorced. I just think they are estranged. And what I, the backstory that I think I made up for myself 25 years ago is that they were not married for very long. It was a marriage of convenience that was mutually beneficial. But very quickly, like, he was younger and interested in other things, and they just let it be for a facade. Right. So because I think like throughout this, even with the dinner with McKen- with with the two of them together, like, you know... Mackenzie was kind of cold to Jane and Jane's like, you know, and she just walked away and Jane's like, oh, she doesn't like me. And, and Richard is like, actually, you wouldn't have made it through the appetizers. She does like you. So you start tomorrow, you know, but it was like this weird dynamic between the, the Mackenzie and the Hart characters there where I was, I couldn't get, I was like, wait, are they married? Are they not married? Like, I couldn't quite get it until they are, they are married because it's Mackenzie Hart and Richard Hart. 
but it's like a marriage in name only. However, he respects her, and Mackenzie really seems to still love him. So it's unclear exactly like what the distance is, but pretty soon it's not going to matter. Right. So, um, but that's when Jane really starts throwing herself at him. Yeah, and, and he doesn't fight. And and she's like, you know, well, she's too old for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because he started actually calling Mackenzie's designs. What was, what was it? It was he said that they felt like stale and brittle or something like that. Something, yeah. Yeah, and basically saying that Mackenzie couldn't design for twenty-something women. Right, which I guess we believe Jane can. Well, you know, what's sort of interesting, though, was at one point, like, he, well, after Jane is hired and she's in the studio and she's working on designs and he sort of, like, lets it fly, like, oh, I, this this is great and we're going to put Mackenzie's name on it. And Jane is all kind of, like, upset that, like, you know, that Mackenzie is going to take the credit for her work. But I'm kind of sitting there going... Well, Jane, this is how design houses work. Yeah, you don't become the star once you enter the front door. You know, you work for Mackenzie Hart. It's going to be Mackenzie's name on the garment. It's not going to be by Jane Mancini. Like, you, that, no. No. Which I thought was kind of weird. Oh, yeah, but it doesn't surprise me that Jane wouldn't have necessarily known that. She doesn't know how to pay bills. That's true. That's true. So, um, so it's that point where, where Jane is like, well, you deserve a woman your own age and they kiss and it looks like, you know, something's going to happen there. Yeah. And, um, and, and he ends up like going home with her. Yeah. And, um, and the next day Mackenzie is like, where were you last night? I tried to call you all night. You were out with her, weren't you? And, um, and, and, and he's like, but yes, but we agreed we'd see other people and that's fine. And then she kisses him and Jane spots this through like the curtain or the blinds or whatever. Yeah. And she's not happy about that, but I'm like, but how are you? I don't, but what? Yeah. Again, Jane, right now you are the other woman. And I like, I enjoyed Jane having a spine, but at the same time I was kind of like, well, Jane, how did you not know that? Why are you surprised by this? Right. You know, so there are a lot of things that Jane's surprised about that she really shouldn't be surprised about. Yeah, just being a person in the world, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he, you know, she confronts Richard about the kiss, and he's basically like, I have no choice. Um, oh, first he's like, it was affection between friends, which I thought was hilarious, because I was like, no, that's not affection between friends, yeah. Richard, no. <laughs> and, um, and Jane was like, you know, she just lays it out. She's like, okay, so you just kissed her to keep your job. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, more or less. Yeah, so Jane kisses him. She's, like, really going at it. She's not meek Jane right yeah, now. It's, it's definitely Jane 2.0, and I love it. Yeah, and then, um, I mean, I guess that's it with her story, and then they go to her place. They And then they go to her place, and we will see them together again, and a scene we'll get back to later. Yeah, which is probably not the best idea to go to her place. It sure isn't. No. Yeah. Um, should we do Brooke and Billy next? Yeah, let's get them over with. Yeah. They got married. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've just gotten engaged and they're basically like, today's Wednesday, we're going to get married on Saturday, daddy. And because 
her dad Haley is for whatever reason her bitch. He finds a way to to get it all together, and they're going to get married somewhere out in Pasadena, I guess. They have a big lush wedding at his mansion. Meanwhile, Allison calls D and D to try and talk to Brooke about the fact that Billy has basically given her the international heave ho, and because Brooke is out doing wedding stuff, she gets transferred to Amanda, who lets it slip to Allison. Oh, you must have wanted to congratulate Brooke. And Allison's like, what? On what? And she's like, she's getting married on Saturday. So imagine Allison's confusion already because she didn't know this about Brooke. And then Amanda's like, yeah, to Billy. And even if you hate Allison, like, this is a big shit sandwich to get shoved down your throat all at once. Yeah, but, you know, Amanda enjoyed telling it. Every second of it. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, so... Can I just say, Heather Locklear had that bitch flag flying this episode. This is basically her at her best in, yeah. those, in those moments. Yeah, yeah it was definitely. delicious. It was so perfect. Yeah, she really got... Uh, I don't know if any of them are great one-liners, but she had some good ones. She had some doozies. She really did. Yeah. And, um, so then we get a couple scenes of Allison in Hong Kong. We see her at an AA meeting with, like, the one other random english-speaking person he happens to be australian but he's also working for armstrong enterprises whatever um and i don't even really know why we need him there to validate her and be like yeah you should go back to the states and tell billy how you feel because well, we, i think we needed him there because he let it slip that oh, like about the position about the position that armstrong oh armstrong must really feel like you're something special because he created this position for you right this, this position didn't exist right he created a position so that allison who has only at best been an account exec and then a brief president of an ad agency disastrous now president. The of marketing for this international conglomerate right oh so, again Haley being Brooks, bitch. So, yeah. So, Allison calls Haley, and she's like, I know you created this for me to get me out of the way. I resigned. Goodbye. And I think the next time we see her is on uh, L.A. band flight back out of Hong Kong. Which is being Delight. rerouted back to Hong Kong because a, of mechanical a 13, problems. A 13-hour flight that is now, like, five hours delayed or four hours delayed. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and Allison is racing back to L.A., to get to the wedding to stop it. Or even before the wedding to just talk to Billy. Right. It's best circumstances make it so that the first time she can see Billy will be at said wedding. Right. So, okay. That's Brooke, Billy, Allison. We'll get back to them in a second. I think we talk about Jake, Joe, and Jess now. Okay. So, I have alluded a few times to as bad as Jess has been, including hiring someone to kill his brother Jake, that there was worse to come. You were right. All right, let's dive in. There was worse to come. <laughs> Jess is like the most hateable. Oh, I think Jess is worse than Reed. Um, I think you're probably right. I mean, Reed doesn't get a pass. Reed's not a good guy. But but Jess is like the most despicable character on the series. So when we see, I, I don't remember if this was the first scene with them. I think it was. They're at like this overlook, this scenic overlook at night on a motorcycle, stop there, having this moment. And Jess, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, pops the question. Yeah. He asks Joe to marry him. And Joe, understandably, 
is not up for getting married to this guy right away. And she kind of laughs at him a little bit, but like, it's like the nervous laugh of, I wasn't expecting this. And like, and then she's like, oh, that's really sweet of you. But I think that we need to take this slow or whatever. Now he's, he's got his back up about this. He's kind of mad. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's very, he's caught off guard that she would say no. And it, it sets him off. Yeah. And so he's not thrilled with her. So he, is basically like, get on the bike, and we're leaving. And he's, like, really shitty. And so she gets on the bike, and they leave. And then I guess he, like, spends the night elsewhere. Um, and she finds him. He's Meanwhile, he's got a job on a construction site. And, um, oh, did the phone call happen? Allison happen before or after? I think the phone call happened in between. In between? Or yeah. between the... I think it happened... I think it happened between that that first o- overlook scene with the first proposal. Okay. Scenes. Okay, well, okay, so she confronts him at the job site, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and she's like, okay, and then I guess, like, she made dinner for him, and Allison yeah. called, and he's still kind of mad at her, but then he's like, forgives her, and and they're about to sit down for dinner, and... And the phone rings, and he's like, don't get it. And she's like, no, let me just grab it. It might be about yeah, my shoot like, tomorrow. Yeah, it could be work, yeah. And so, she, and so it's Allison, and she tells her all about Billy and what's going on. And, and she's, like, talking to Allison, and he, and, and he, I'm calling him Reed, Jess takes the phone away from her and is basically like, Joe is busy right now. You're going to yeah, have to talk to her tomorrow. Goodbye, yeah. Goodbye. And just like, but that's my friend. Yeah. And he's like, don't care. And yeah, so and now we're like, okay, he's definitely being an asshole. And Joe doesn't quite realize, she doesn't see all the signs, again, um, just how bad Jess is yet. Not yet, but she will. Yeah. Like, she has enough sense to be like, no, I'm not going to marry you. But she doesn't have enough sense yet to be like, I need to stay away from him. Yeah, like, you need to get out of my house and not come back. Um... So, while you read your notes, um, uh, just as a side note, I should say, we gave the Billy Brooks storyline short shrift because there's really not much to it. A few other people do react to the engagement. Joe is basically like, don't you think you're rushing in? Don't you think mm, this is a little much? And he's like, fine then, Joe, I, we won't uh, send you an invite. You don't. You can RSVP no. Um, eventually, Jane um, says, look, Allison will understand, Billy, you're my friend too. Um, and there is a cute scene where Billy does go to Jake at Shooters and again asks him to be his best man. And they have a callback to a year ago, which is when Jake punched him because he found out that Billy had had a bonus night with Amanda. So those things do happen. They are cute, I think, um, in their own right. So the next Joe scene, I think, so Joe does visit him at his place of work, right, at the construction site. Right. Um, and I don't actually remember what significance there is. I only remember the next time we're back at her apartment. So I think that the construction site was just his mea culpa. I'm sorry, I shouldn't rea- have reacted that way. And, you know, I get it. I took you by surprise and, and we're good. And they kiss and everything's great. And then they go back to her place, the next scene. And he asked her to marry him again, and this time he's got a ring. It's a, a nice big ring. A yeah. gorgeous diamond ring. And she's like, I don't even want to know how you got that. Yeah. 
Because let's face it, he's not rolling in cash. He has no money. Yeah. He's got no money. And I think it was kind of a fair question. And he loses <laughs> his shit. Yeah, more than shit has ever been lost before. More than shit has ever been lost. And they actually show this. I was a little bit surprised they didn't do this behind closed doors. Um, They didn't do it where you just heard it. They actually show him wailing on her. Yeah, yeah. He he decks her. He beats the shit out of her. And eventually she is able to get away from him and hide in the bathroom. So he beats down the door. And behind that closed door, we hear a lot more violent hitting. Right. And she's screaming. She's doing her, like, scratchy Joe shrieks. I mean, like, he must be breaking bones. Like, they're... The, this is awful to listen to. Um, and so and so he beats the shit out of her, and then he leaves, and to put an extra cap on it, so if we haven't already hated Jess enough, as he leaves, he goes, now clean this place up. Yeah. Monster. Yeah. Jack- monster he's a monster he is the worst kind of monster yeah he is the worst kind of monster and she's like lying on the floor of her bathroom slash dark room and it looks like the sink is off the wall and like uh, you know like and she's just lying there and you're like sort of going is she dead i hope she's not dead could have been yeah if it were a different show she could have been yeah and so he's like basically like i'm gonna go back to work i have a double shift yeah so the one thing I want to say about this, and that I've always thought about this, so I've not liked what they've done to Joe's character over the course of the show, especially in rewatching all the stupid choices she made and how they really like diminished her from the strong, independent New Yorker that she was two and a half seasons ago. But I will say, if you remember at the beginning of this season, she ended like the the triangle between her and Amanda and Jake. She was like, Amanda, Mr. Washboard's stomach is all yours. I've had my share of these problems with men, with Jake, with Reed. I'm going to be on my own. And she goes from trying to assert herself in the beginning of the season to being pulverized by the next man she lets into her life. And I was like, I don't know if it's intended or not, but the way that's sort of not necessarily bookended, but arced from the beginning of the season to the end 30 episodes later, what they have done to Joe, I think is just worth pausing and considering. I will say that. Yeah, I have I have a real issue with the direction that they took her character, because like you said, she did start as this sort of no-nonsense New Yorker, I can take care of myself. And she was she ran from New York because she was escaping a bad situation with her husband. Yeah. And then to have her come to L.A. and basically do the same thing all over again is a little, have you not learned anything, my dear? And, you know, and also I felt kind of out of character. She, she really has become like it, it's sort of like, you know, Joe or Jane pick the weak one. Yeah, I mean, I think for this show, or for any show to work, like, your characters have to maintain a certain stupidity. Like, they have to kind of not learn things, but there's a difference between, like, Allison and Billy wanting to come back to each other and being dumb about it, and Joe making stupid mistakes that result in her being brutalized by men. Right, right. And particularly so soon after Reed. I mean, yeah, like, within a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um... I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, it was a very shocking conclusion, I think, to the story, um, in terms of where they, like, you thought that Jess was basically there to do damage to Jake, and what he really ends up doing is doing a lot of damage to Joe. It's, it's 
True. And so there's one more consequence of what has happened that we will get back to. Yes. Um, and I guess now we talk about the, the headlining story, Michael, Sid, Kimberly. And a little bit of Amanda thrown in. And some Amanda, yes. Mostly in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Peter. Oh, and Peter. The return of Peter Burns. Dr. Peter Burns. So, um, I just want to throw this out there. So, you know, the last episode we saw Kimberly sort of fighting with her demon side, right? The, this dark side of the, that is now appearing to her in the mirror. Yeah. I think that actor played a demon on Charmed. Um... I'm going to double check that only because I thought I remembered specifically him dying and I'm not sure when that happened, but wouldn't surprise me. I know his name. It's Zito Kazan, as in like Ilya Kazan, but I don't know if they're related. So I'm going to look that up while you get us started talking about Michael, who was currently in jail. Oh, right. So Michael's in jail because um, Kimberly said that he beat her up. There's a lot of battery going on here. A lot of battery on Melrose Place. Kimberly faked that Michael beat her up and also that he was stalking Amanda and, like, defacing her her car and stuff. So, um, you know, so Michael's in jail. So, of course, that merits a visit from Sid. I mean, who else? Because, like, she's got a gloat. And she shows up. She's like, Michael, have you lost weight? I'm like, in the past 24 hours that he's been in prison. Yeah. Um, So, anyway... Um, essentially he kind of acts like a jerk, but then he like turns it around and he asks for Sid's help. And I gotta say, like, these two actors are so good together and it just makes me wish that their relationship, like they remain together because they could do so much ridiculously fun damage on Melrose Place if they united as a couple well, that's the thing. If the story wasn't about them being at odds with each other, it would be the best thing ever. Because yeah. they are so perfect together. They are so manipulative. And so, you know, Machiavellian together. That Absolutely. You just love watching them. And so here we are once again where Michael needs Sid and, and Sid is happy to help. And they are going to do underhanded things together. And that is just about the best moment ever. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yep. So meanwhile, while um, Sid and Michael are plotting to get Michael out of jail, basically, um, we see Kimberly at the hospital. She's looking kind of haggard. She's looking not great. Um, And she goes to her locker. There's a mirror in there. There's her friend, the demon guy. (laughs) Um, and, and so basically he's sort of going, you need to, you know, they're terrible people, kill them all, kill them all. And she's like, no, they're friends. They're no, that I won't do it. I won't do it. And so this is sort of, let me there to say neither of those things is true. (laughs) He's not dead and he was never uncharmed. They're not. No, 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 no. Actually, he was uncharmed. He played council member, which probably meant he was a demon. No, the thing is, what you just said, what this guy is telling Kimberly, like, kill them all, they deserve to die, not true. And she keeps saying, no, they're my friends. Also not true. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so, so this is the, this is the thing. So I'm wondering when the writers had the idea to create this, the demon man in the mirror, right, for her. Because through this whole thing, we know she's unstable. 
right? I mean, this is that they've been playing that card all along. Kimberly is unstable. She is insane. She does these crazy things because she is just, she's, she's not right. Okay. She has, she has a mental illness, whatever that mental illness might be. Um, but now we've never seen this as like a split personality or whatever they're trying to do with the, with the demon in the mirror. Right. Yeah. And I'm wondering if they decided to bring this in to set this up to, for, for the audience to actually sympathize with her, because for a while you're losing sympathy for her. Like she's just doing these crazy pants things. Yeah, I think, and we'll see more about this in the next season following the climax of this episode. I think they do it to give Kimberly an out so they can keep her on the show. And like, you can only be so culpable for the damage you create before they really have to be like, you can't stay in these people's orbit. And so this sort of gives them that out. Like they blame her. It gives a way to like make the craziness be an excuse and keep her in like the midst of all this chaos. Cause otherwise it's like, she's just a criminal. Right. But I mean, you could like, you could still do that with her being mentally ill. I think, I think because they've always used that as the excuse, but I feel like to introduce the actual like Jekyll and Hyde, like the actual, right. like, you know, personality of like Hyde, and it to the audience so you actually see it i feel like that was a way to give the sympathy you know to to get that sympathy from the audience so that you feel bad for kimberly instead of just looking at her as the villain yeah i agree though ultimately as we'll discuss i think they kind of abandon this as a catalyst because of other stuff that happens not in her head but like to her right so so now we start to see that like you know and so so okay so she she kind of like yells the guy out of her head or whatever she does in that hospital room so that he disappears. And in, the next thing you know, Sid is there because she's in the hospital saying that she's having, she's not feeling well. She's having chest pains and panic attacks, but she's fine. She's really there because she's checking up on Kimberly. Like she told Michael, she, that's what she was going to do. Michael wants proof that Kimberly yes. is insane basically like a reconnaissance mission yeah yeah so she's there under you know she's there saying she's sick but really she's there spying and kimberly is really lovely to her yeah she's like genuine and being a really good doctor and you know but again like she there's i guess there's a mirror in the room and like and like once again like the demon guy comes out and she grabs a scalp, like a scissor, like a hospital shear. And she's like going to stab Sid. And then she stops herself. Yeah, he's urging her to stab Sid. And, and Kimberly herself has like the strength to to not and to leave the, to drop the scissors on the table. Right, right. So, um, so Sid is saved. She's not dead yet. Not yet. Not yet. Um, and in the meantime, uh, at the prison... Michael has another visitor. <laughs> and this is where we have Dr. Peter Burns. Who we knew was coming back because we saw his name in the opening credits. And here we go. Dr. Peter Burns is back with a new haircut. And he bails Michael out. And they go back to the beach house. Again, that neither, neither of them own. Um, and over beers, Peter explains, like, he had a good lawyer. He only spent, like, three days in the clink. He's just been laying low. I don't even know whether that's been in California or back in michigan or wherever he oh it's in. california because he's oh. at a clinic he had to do um he had to do community service hours and work for free at a clinic so we never know what happens to jasmine guy though but peter got out so yeah patriarchy wins 
<laughs> as, as always. <laughs> and so basically he's like, I had a great lawyer and, and I'm going to have, and you can have him too. And Michael's like, I can't pay for this. I can't even pay rent on the speech house, which again begs the question, Michael, you're a doctor. What do you do with your money? Yeah. Um, so, and Peter's like, I am going to pay for it. Now, you know, this is Peter Burns we're talking about. Shit doesn't come for free from him. So he's got to go in front of the medical licensing board later that week. They're going to make that decision about whether or not he gets to keep his license. And he wants Michael to go on the stand and basically retract everything that he said about trying to kill Amanda with an appendectomy that she didn't need. And so Michael's like... This season. Michael's like, sign me up. Did that happen this season? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my God. So Amanda almost died a couple times this season. Yep. It was like one medical malady right after the other. Right. So, um, so he basically is, so Michael's on board. Like he is, he is so on board. Um, meanwhile. Isn't this more Kimberly getting involved? Yeah, this is more Kimberly. So Sid is, um, Sid wants, Michael wants Sid to get more proof, I guess. And he, and so, cause Sid found out where, um, Kimberly where was Kimberly staying. was staying. And so she, so she basically has to go break into Kimberly's hotel room to sort of snoop. And so she breaks in and that's when she sees all of those crazy pants pictures. Yeah. Which God knows where these eight by 10 glossies came from. Yeah. Yeah. But the, everybody's eyes are gouged out and they've got big red blobs on them. And so basically Sid sees this and she is just like, okay, this woman is insane. Um, and, uh, yeah, she starts taking pictures of the, of the, the wall of crazy. Right. Um, and so she and Michael then go to the cops and the cops are like, well, how'd you get this picture? And then he's like, you know what? I don't want to know. And you're lucky that I don't arrest you. So basically yeah. they don't believe him. The cops are basically like, all this is proof of is that you broke and entered into someone's motel room. Yeah. And there's, he's like, there's nothing illegal about having creepy pictures. Meanwhile, Peter has started to put the moves on Kimberly. Yes, and um, and boy, does she fall for it? Oh, so easily. I mean, because I mean, at that point, she's like Michael, who? Yeah. Like, so he asks her out on a date, and and I guess they go to dinner. Um, oh, oh, yeah, no, no, no. He asked her out, and I think she said no, and then she like changed her mind, and she came back to his place, and she's like. Here, I have tickets for the opera. And he's like, I hate the opera. And then they kiss and you know that they didn't go to the opera. Right. Um, and Dr. Burns then goes to Michael's. And and he basically says, this is what you need to say. Just say that um, that Amanda is so happy. And then he's like, oh, and by the way, I'm dating your, your wife, Kim, your ex-wife. Yeah. And Michael's like, which one? <laughs> No, I didn't even think Michael says. I think Peter paused and he's like, to clarify, I'll let you know which one. It's Kimberly. And then Michael goes, are you crazy? Because she is. Yeah. I mean, there's like, Michael, there's no love lost there. He really, no, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. But then again, like now this is like one of those things where we're like, okay, what's going on here? Melrose Place. You bring Peter Burns back and all of a sudden he's dating Kimberly. Right. 
Very out of the blue. And yes. now while this sort of courtship of Kimberly is going on, Demon Man seems to have taken a back seat. Exactly. Like, we're seeing less of him now. Yeah, yes. we're seeing less of him. She seems a lot more pulled together. Um, she doesn't seem as vengeful. No. Um, Again, then, yeah. let me remind you guys, this is all happening in one episode. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's so chock full of greatness. Um, so he comes to the hospital. He gives her a rose. Um, I mean, she's really kind of smitten. Yeah, she's totally falling for this. Yeah. And then the demon guy comes back while she's driving away in her convertible. And she basically is like, I will die. I want to die. It's like me or you. Like, you can't be here. And she basically drives so violently that he just, I don't know, she's like got rid of him by driving like a loon. She like, no, somehow she she has like a come to Jesus moment. And she's like, I'm going to commit suicide just to rid myself of you. And she's like, no, I can't do this. No, this is this is too much. And he's kind of gone for the moment again. Yeah, and then he disappears, and everything seems to be okay. Okay, but another example, like, Kimberly is rather unstable. <laughs> so now we've got some big, fancy Beverly Hills Physicians Ball. Yes. That Michael, um, that Michael Peter invited Kimberly to. And Michael, for whatever reason, is there with Sid. <laughs> yep, now Sid's his date. She's his go-to gal. And, and, um... And so this was like the sort of great like Sid and Michael moment where it's like he shows up, he sees Kimberly with Peter, he's there with Sydney, he like says hello, and then he like looks at Sid and he's like, who here can benefit my career? Let's start on cardiology and work our way down. Yeah. You know, it was perfect. And Sid's like, yes, let's do that. I mean, they need to be together. Yeah. And it's like, it's those moments where you're like, "Uh, Sid, your instincts were right to be with Michael. I mean, and they're just perfect. They're perfect. So, so Kimberly runs to the bath, goes to the bathroom. Um, Sid kind of follows her, and sh- this is where she sees Kimberly being completely crazy pants, talking to herself in the mirror. Because once again, the demon shows up. Right. And and so she walks in to the bathroom, or or is listening while 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 Kimberly is saying that I'll kill them all. I'll kill them all. Yeah. It's yes. Yeah. Um, which crazy, but it's, we're getting to something good. Yeah. So I guess I guess the medical licensing board meets on Saturdays. Well, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they? Of course they wouldn't. But we have to do this on a Saturday because it happens to be the same day as Billy and Brooke's wedding, and it's just easier this way. Yeah, it's so much easier this way. So Michael shows up. He gives his testimony for Dr. Burns and basically says Amanda needed the appendectomy. And oh, by the way, she's so happy because now she's suing me in the entire hospital. And so she just wants to sue. And then Amanda shows up and she takes the stand in her wedding dress. And she basically... And not her not her wedding dress, but the dress to wear as maid of honor. In her maid of honor dress. And she basically says, sits there and sort of backs up exactly what Michael says and threatens to sue everybody on the board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she like, and then she's like, now I've got a wedding to go to. And she walks out. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, this and, is also basically exactly what happened a year ago because it was, I believe, also a Saturday for the wedding when Amanda had to do that testimony against her mother and Chaz at D&D when there was that um, sexual harassment lawsuit. 
happening. Oh, right. And later she was going back to Melbourne for the like aborted Billy and Allison Billy and wedding. Allison wedding, right. So, um, so after her, after she threatens to sue everybody, she, she walks out of the courtroom and, and Peter is out there. Kimberly's with him and Burns sort of stares at Amanda, like longingly. And, right. and He's going in the elevator or, or out of the elevator, whatever it is. And he looks at her and he remembers what he liked six months ago. Yeah. And while Kimberly goes in to testify on his behalf. And so they get back to Dr. Burns's house and, and it appears that the medical licensing board has agreed to let him keep his license. And, um, oh, they call, they call while she's there. Well, Kimberly's there. They call him. That's right. They call. And, and so he's got what he wants and he's basically tells Kimberly to go home. Yeah. She's like, oh, we can celebrate. And he's like, no, you know what? You can leave. It's Okay. Uh, I mean, more or less, that's kind of what he does, right? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty hes pretty much like, yeah, no, we can go. I got a lot of work to do. Um, I got to do this, this, and this. And she's like, oh, but you'll call me later. He's like, yeah, that's it. I'll call you later. That sounds like a good idea. And so basically, she has been rejected. She doesn't quite know this yet until she walks out of the house. And he's standing by his picture window. She's standing right beside it. And I guess they have really thin windows in LA. Yeah. <laughs> And she hears him call Amanda and leave a message on Amanda's answering machine that is basically like, I missed you. I need to see you. We need to talk. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sid is still playing Sherlock Holmes and she is out in her car watching this whole thing. And she's on the phone with Michael. Michael's trying to get his rounds done at the hospital. And she's like, she's like, well, what is she doing? And Sid's like, I don't know. She's just standing there. It's really suspicious. And Michael's like, oh, my God, just leave me alone. Um, And so that's when the demon shows up again, but this time in the reflection of of Peter's window. And and Kimberly looks pretty much like she's now going to listen to the demon. Right. So, okay, Kimberly knows Peter has used her. She was basically, like, had gotten her hopes up that someone might be kind to her one more time. It's essentially the same thing that sets Carrie off in the Stephen King book and movie. Like, this is, like, a bridge too far, and now she has lost it, um, and everyone must pay. And so she goes to Melrose Place, and the next time we see her, she's at Melrose Place, and she's lugging two very large gas canisters with her. Of like kerosene or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, but Sid's hot on her tail. Right. So should we pause for the wedding now? Oh, yeah, we should. So we never officially talked about the wedding. We While, while Kimberly is setting up Bomb Shop in Melrose Place with Sid there, um, uh, Allison shows up at the wedding. She's made it in the nick of time because they're, like, about to do vows. And Jake is standing there, and Amanda's standing there, and Jane is sitting there, and she's brought Richard. Um, And Allison's like, wait, stop, Billy, I know you still love me. And Billy, also still thinking that Allison wrote that fake note, is like, Allison, you have to go. This is over. I'm sorry. I love Brooke. And Brooke's like, you've got to get rid of her. She's an obsessed alcoholic. Yeah, I love that. She's an obsessed alcoholic. (laughs) 
and these security men show up and they like walk Allison all, uh, away and just to show that he's still a bit human Billy goes hey don't hurt her and um and and Jane whispers something real quick into Richard Hart's ear and it's like how could he even catch up to everything that has gone on I know it's like a whirlwind really but but Jane tries to like appease Allison and she's like I'm sorry here let me at least drive you home and Allison's like I hate all of you like none of you are good to me I'm leaving so Allison sets off on her way home um and and as she walks off she hears like the strings playing and sees Billy and Brooke kiss as man and wife and again a bridge too far yeah um, and we very quickly cut to that thing that only happened in like 90s movies and TV shows where it's like the couple immediately leaves for their honeymoon right from their own reception and everyone's like cheering off Billy and Brooke and Amanda hugs her and goes the best woman won, which is like ridiculous. And Brooke whispers to her dad. She's like, you almost let Allison ruin it. <laughs> Better make sure she stays away from our honeymoon. It's like, why is Haley her bitch? I don't understand. Um, and Billy and Brooke are in the limo and she's like, and you have the tickets for Hawaii, right? And stupid ass Billy checks his jacket and he's like, oh, you know what? I guess they're still in the apartment. And Brooke's like on phase. She's like, well, you know, we still have some time before the flight. We could do other things too. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, so, so Billy and Brooke are headed to Melrose Place as is Allison, and actually so is Peter, because he thinks he has received a bottle of champagne from Amanda asking them to reconnect, that she has missed him, but it's Kimberly who has doctored this note very quickly and sent it to Peter, so... So as so Peter's on his way to Melrose Place as other people from the wedding are coming back. Okay, fine. Yeah, so Jane is, Jane is back now? Yes, well, as they're on their way back because what has also just happened is Sid has seen Kimberly setting up the bombs in the laundry room, and Kimberly, well, Sid, Kimberly sees Sid, and Sid tries to get away once she realizes just how bad the shit Kimberly is up to, and she kind of knocks Kimberly out, or excuse me, Kimberly knocks like Sid out. She grabs her on the stairs um, and subdues her, and is able to tie Sid up. She ties her to a slop sink. Ties her, yeah, to like the radiator thing, right? (laughs) So Sid's tied up um, and... And and gagged, I think. And gagged. Or not... Yes, I think she is. Yeah, yeah, she's Uh, gagged until she needs to call Michael. And Kimberly is basically doing the the bad guy thing in all the TV shows where they're telling the person all the things they're going to do as the bad guy. And, And she's like, yes, I have four bombs. Uh, the first one's in the laundry room, and that's going to get your attention. And the second one is going to blow up Allison's apartment. And not that I have anything against reformed alcoholics, but the one after that belongs to Matt, which is like, okay, but Matt hasn't been your problem for a while. And if you know enough to know that Allison's a reformed alcoholic, don't you also know that Allison's in Hong Kong? Okay, it doesn't really matter. Um, the point is Kimberly has strategically placed four bombs in Melrose Place, and has now summoned everyone, including Peter, to Melrose Place. And she tells Sid to call Michael at the hospital and get him to come. Right. You know, the one person that she didn't plant the bomb right under the apartment was Jane, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, almost like out of sight, out of mind in that regard. Yeah, yeah. So she's got the bombs planted. Um, Sid, she threatens Sid with basically a blowtorch. Get yeah. Michael here or else I'm going to melt your face off. Yeah. Um, and, and Sid got him there. Sid did really good. Yeah. You know, she's claiming that she had the upper hand over Kimberly and Kimberly was ready to admit all and Michael better get over there to record it. Right. But no cops. Exactly. But no cops. So um, Jane gets home with Richard. Yep. Um, oh, wait. No, I think first Allison comes home. Allison's the first one home. Allison is home first. And she pulls out a bottle of vodka and proceeds right. to get soused. She has, Allison has taken a shower, is in a bathrobe that actually looks like it might have come back from Hong Kong with her, um, and is blasting music and, and opens up, takes out a bottle of vodka. And right before she drinks it, she sees Billy and Brooke coming back to Melrose and going back upstairs to have sex as man and wife. And that's when she opens the bottle and takes her first drink. She cracks the seal. So and, and Al- lot, the way these things really all align is fantastic. Yes, it is. So Allison's home and she's drinking. Billy and Brooke are home and they're having sex. Um, yeah. Jane and Richard come home. And yes. Now, now, I think before... So Peter's about to arrive, but I think before that happens... I guess not, no, because Michael isn't there yet, because that happens very quickly. Right. So Peter arrives. Amanda and Jake come back from the wedding together as well. I feel like this reception lasted 15 minutes. Um, and right after that, Peter shows up, and Amanda's like, what the hell are you doing here? He's like, you invited me here. And here's the champagne you brought. I thought, you know, we could rekindle what we had. And Amanda's like, get out of here. And Jake's like, I think you need to go. And right then is when poor Joe is able to make it just barely out of her apartment. And I think she says she calls for Jake, right? I think she does. Yeah. Or she's yelling help or I. It's it might be both and yeah. to open the door. So immediately Dr. Peter Burns and Jake and Amanda go up to Joe um, and it doesn't take Jake two seconds while Peter is trying to help Joe to figure out that Jess did this to you. He's like, he did this to you, didn't he? And, and I think Joe apologizes as she, like, acknowledges that it was Jess, and Jake takes right off and goes to the construction site. Right. And so, so which means that Jake isn't going to be there to get exploded. Right. No Matt and no Jake in Melrose Place, but they have their own cliffhangers, so it's like, okay, fine. Right. Um, so Jake goes right to the construction site, goes up to the top where J- Jess is, confronts him, and, like, Jake gets, like, a good punch in, and Jess gets, like, three good punches in, and the other workers start to be like, hey, what's going on? You guys stop this. And that's when Jess finally says, if only the guy that I paid to kill you had been able to finish the job. And that's that. And Jake just like runs right into Jess and the two of them go flying off of the construction site. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many stories up they were, but they looked pretty high. It was pretty high. Yeah. And so basically the scene ends. There's our Cliffy with Jake. He is in midair. Slow-mo fall. And that's the last we see of Jake and Jess. Don't know what's going to happen and won't know for months. No idea. So Matt's in jail and it looks like he might get put away for good. Yeah. Jake's Thanks. life hangs in the balance. Yeah. We don't know if he how you know we don't know if he's gonna make that, you know, survive that fall. Meanwhile, back on Melrose Place. 
So now Michael has arrived. He goes straight over to the laundry room where he sees Sid and Kimberly is like laying in wait, basically. Um, and he's he's able to fight with her. They tussle for a little bit and and they knock Kimberly out. She like hits her head on the radiator or sorry, the table. I forget what it is. And she's temporarily knocked out and Michael's able to untie Sid and she takes off her gag. And I loved it because with the gag in, she was like, blah, 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 blah. and she finally removes the gag. And she's like, she's got bombs in a way that's <laughs> funny and scary. Um, so Michael and Sid, and this is where the tension has really started to build. It's awesome. And the music has started a little bit. Everyone is basically sort of like out in the courtyard doing something or in their rooms. So Michael and Sid are running around. They're knocking on doors. Michael knocks on Allison's door, and she's like, leave me alone. She doesn't want to have anything to do with it. We're like, oh, Allison, no. And Sid, of course, goes to Jane's door, and she's like, Jane, you got to come out. The first person that should be noted, Jane ran to, Sid ran to, was, was Jane. Jane. Yep. Um, and Michael runs upstairs. He gets Billy and Brooke out of their bed. Um, and and meanwhile, Amanda, Peter, and Joe are, are all still like upstairs by her apartment. And I think um, Amanda called 911 at that point for I Joe. She, 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 yeah, there's like this odd scene where where Peter's tending to uh, uh, Joe and he tells Amanda to call 911 and Amanda's just sort of looking at Joe and he's like, Amanda? And that's when she does it. But right. it takes like a second. Right. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Everyone is now out at Melrose Place. At, plus Jane and Richard, who've also been in the sack, yeah, um, I mean, Richard's, like, got his shirt off, and they yeah. look all disheveled at that point. When Sid, and, and Jane's, like, said, I'm not falling for this shit again. Yeah, you know. and that's and that's when um, Mackenzie Hart also comes to Melrose Place to put <laughs> Jane on blast. And Michael's like, oh, lady, you really picked the wrong time to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is so great the way all of this culminates. And then, now everyone is out. Um and that's when Kimberly has regained consciousness and she runs out of the laundry room back into the courtyard. Um, and do you want to repeat the last line? No, you go ahead. And she goes, wait, it's not what you think. And then we see her detonate all four bombs. We see like the, the things beeping and she goes, it's worse. And, and they just go dark on her. And that is the end. And everyone in the entire show, their lives are in jeopardy. But we don't know. We don't know if the bombs worked. We don't know if the bombs went off or not. We don't know, and I'll get to that in a sec. But I will just say, I think it is the most fantastic cliffhanger. I think it is the best way to have aligned all of your storyline threads that I've ever seen in a TV series. I completely agree. And I loved how everybody was at the same place. Because that was one of the things that I was kind of curious about. How are we going to get everybody that she wants to kill all in one place? Right. And even the stories like bringing Peter in at the last second, they were able to give him enough to do that. It made sense for where he was with them. Like, okay, so Allison, they got her in Hong Kong, but now they got her back. Like, it all makes sense. It all works. It's all perfect. I know. It's all perfect. I have to say, for the first, it's one of those rare moments where you don't have to, like, really struggle to suspend disbelief with what they're doing. It all it's, makes complete it sense. Makes, in, the, in their using their own logic and more importantly, the character's own history, it makes sense. Yeah. And that's why I always gave the show so much credit because they did stuff usually that that justified, that built on the character's history. So, yes, Kimberly is about to bomb Melrose Place. So let me tell you two things. 
this show got a lot of attention. This episode got a lot of attention because originally the the very end of this episode was still a cliffhanger, but it did show Melrose Place getting detonated. So what you see in like the first 10 seconds of the season four opener is actually how this season finale was supposed to end. And Fox demanded that that be cut in the wake of the Oklahoma City bombings, which happened about six, seven weeks before this episode aired. Okay, see, because I remember the bomb being detonated. And so I expected that to happen. Right. And then it didn't. And I was like, did I not remember that correctly? No, you remembered it correctly. And you do see it. You just see it in season four. But I would say that if that was the reason why they changed the way this episode ended, the way they actually chose to edit it is so much better. It's so much creepier. It's so much more suspenseful. You really have to know what happens. And so, you know, god-awful tragedy, but, but it... It made for a smarter end to this episode, and it also ended up giving the episode more attention in advance. It was the cover of the Entertainment Weekly season TV, like like the TV season end storyline. Like the Michael Kimberly stuff and Michael Kimberly Sid stuff was the stuff that everyone was always talking about all season, but it really did reach a fever pitch in terms of the media. The other thing that I've read a few times, I think I mentioned last week or the week before, that they were always trying to give Kimberly crazy stuff to do. Like she would jump on the freeway and cause an earthquake. Right. Apparently the writers even toyed with another idea before landing on this that involved Kimberly like tying Sydney onto a plane and like flying the plane into Melrose Place, which seemed like raises all sorts of questions. First of all, like then you really do have to get rid of Sydney if you do that. Right. And, and like, um, how do, you, how do you even have the budget to do something like this and come away from like, I didn't even know how that would have worked. All I know is this was perfect. This was great suspense. This is a great soap season ender. I completely agree. So, I mean, my fondest memories are probably of the series are tied to this. (laughs) So we had to wait four months to see what happened, but we'll be able to tell you next week where this all picks up. So it was fabulous. I was so not disappointed, especially after what I felt was a mediocre season. And I know that you felt differently. I do feel stronger about the season, yeah. But um, but I felt like um, I felt like there was a bit of a payoff there for me. Yeah, I think that I think the payoff is superb, and I I think season four ends up being a subpar season. So see, and well, I'm excited yeah. for season four because I've got Dr. Peter Burns back. Yeah. He stays. Yeah. Um, because this is when he and Michael opened that Beverly Hills office, right? Yeah, yeah, they had their practice together. Right, and so, so, and I, and I love me some Peter Burns. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Richard Hart sticks around, if I remember correctly. Yep, and Brooke is now a main character. Brooke is main character now, but we have who do we have coming in? Actor wise, do we have like Elise Arena yet, or do we have? No. Is anybody no. coming in? No, we. This is pretty much this it. Is it. Or, okay. But but I do think season four has the 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 biggest number of full time cast members in the opening credits. There's like thirteen of them when it started out as eight, um, and I think even Patrick Muldoon is in the opening credits. I think Kimberly has not been in the opening credits yet. So Marsha Cross joins as a full time regular, um, and and there's Kristen Davis and everyone else. So basically. In the season finale, they've tucked in the additions. Like, I don't think there's anyone else that joins. Okay. 
of, in, you know, into season four. Got it. Okay, got it. Um, and then there are other new additions in season five, including Lisa Rinna, who I will say, Lisa Rinna and Patrick Muldoon played brother and sister on Days of Our Lives, which were the jobs they had prior to each of them coming to Melrose Place in separate seasons. And as has been recently admitted on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Rinna and Muldoon dated in real life. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I remember her on Days. I don't remember him. They, uh, I think he probably had a shorter time before he was replaced, okay. but they were, but they were brother and sister, Billy and Austin. Billy and Austin. Well, that was quite an episode. So there is a reason why this show was on so many TV top 10 lists for the 94, 95 season. Like the writers were going balls to the wall as best as they could. And sometimes they dropped the ball, but but this was a show everyone talked about, and I've maybe talked about it before. It should be mentioned again. This was the true introduction of having, like, party nights and game nights out at the bars. And, like, this was the season that it moved from Wednesday to Monday. And people used this to get more people to come out to bars because the bars would play Melrose Place and you'd drink and, and watch along. Yeah, it's so funny to think about how, like, you know, but, you know you see bar football at bars and, you know baseball at bars and and i think this was probably like the first time that it was like a primetime tv it was, event it was honestly a game changer in terms of like what what bars became in terms of like social clubs yeah. it was really a game changer yeah so thank you melrose place for that <laughs> and um i don't think we ever said did we when the show moved from Wednesdays to Mondays that the tagline they used, it was a photo of Heather Locklear. It said, Mondays are a bitch. I mean, I think that's the most perfect, like, talk about good advertising. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an awesome promo. Um, so so that was that was season three, and that was the Big Bang Theory. And if any of you guys have watched it recently, I hope you let us know what you think. And did it bring you guys as much pleasure as it has clearly brought us? Um, and if any of you are thinking about doing a rewatch, um, I mean, if you only have time to watch 90 minutes of Melrose Place, then this is the one to watch. This is the one. I completely agree. Hit us up on the Facebook, Back on the Block Pod, and let us know what you think. Yeah, please do. And uh, we'll be back next week, certainly returning to Hollywood Boulevard, uh, and also beginning season four. That'll be us when Look- we're back on the block. Looking forward. Bye. Bye.